Hi, I'm Bethany, and I'm on a journey of discovering what loving oneself actually looks like. I want to invite you into my process, hear some of my crazy stories, as well as hear some amazing people with wisdom and insight give their take on what it looks like to love yourself well, and in turn, be able to love people well too. Come on, let's go. All right, thanks for tuning in again. Last week, we left off at a very pivotal uh, moment of a story that I've been talking about in regards to a date I went on uh, probably six months ago, five months ago now, um, and the lessons that I learned. So last week, just to reiterate, I, I met a guy on a dating app. We decided to meet for for a drink, and um, he was not at all who he portrayed himself to be, but also not who I created him to be as well. Um, so the point that we left off was that I came back from the bathroom after deciding I'm going to go and try to figure out a way to leave because I wasn't feeling it because I was getting kind of all of these red flags or these like, uh, markers of like, you should go, you should, you should not be with this guy. You should need to leave. You should go home. You should go home. So, um, got to the point where I came back from the bathroom and he looked at me and he said, how do you know? And it was, he felt that he heard demons telling him that they knew who I was. They know my name. And I will tell you, because of my background, um, I am not shocked at hearing someone say that they heard demons or felt like they had demons. I've been raised in church. I've been raised. I'm a pastor's kid. I have, I think I'm fourth generation, like, Pentecostal. So my great-grandfather... Um, became a pastor. He was the one that established Assemblies of God churches in Canada, um, the eastern part of Canada. My, you know, my grandmother, she uh, was in ministry her whole entire life. My parents are pastors and now here I am. So I am like fourth generation, like in church, believe in miracles, believe in signs and wonders, believe that God is as real today as he was in Bible times. So to hear someone talk about demons or fear of demons or fear of all, like I, that's no, that's no shocker to me. Not like it would be to probably another person who typically doesn't go to church or isn't um, familiar with any type of supernatural anything. So oddly enough, he, um, I will say it too, as a side note, this is not the first time that that's happened to me as well, where somebody has looked at me and said, how do you, how do you know I have demons? Or I have said, this has happened as well multiple times where people have said, you know, I know you and it's not them talking, it's something else. Um, so one, I'm not, not totally shocked. I'm uncomfortable Definitely had the thought of that, like, oh, no, cross my cross my mind. Um, but I was able to quickly switch gears. And all of the indicators that I was feeling before, of like, man, he looks really strange. He's disheveled. He's paranoid. He's talking very strange. Like, all of these things start to quickly, quickly add up. Like, quickly. It kind of all comes crashing down. Um, the velvet curtain is removed. I am able to see what's going on truly now. I am one who actually believes in the supernatural. I have had um, too many experiences with God in awesome ways to uh, to ever say that that's not true. 
And I mean, we are going to save those stories for another day. But I will tell you that I, I do believe in the supernatural. I do believe in good and evil. I do believe in those things. So I wasn't particularly terrified, but I also was now on high alert, if that makes sense. So we're sitting down at the table. He looks shocked and terrified at the realization that he is hearing voices telling him that they are demons and that they know who I am. And he had no idea. So... I have to then switch gears. I was just about to tell this guy. I was so close to to leaving. I was just about to tell this guy that I was going to get up and go. Like, it was nice to meet you. And this is what happens. Um, So I switch gears. You know, that good old, that good old pastor's kid thing, um, which is just basically I've watched my family my whole life serve people and serve them well and love people well, even in, in their worst. And so... The thought of sitting with him and also allowing him to talk for a second wasn't also crazy to me. Like to sit and hear this man out was not like an odd thing. I have a memory actually. So this isn't the date. I have a memory as a kid um, that my in the middle of the night being woken up by my mom to like go into her bedroom that was at the back of the house, my sister and I, because... Um, my dad had very like I think they were they were men of illegal activities we'll put it that way come to our house I think it was like one o'clock in the morning or something like that and of course being a pastor you typically live in the house next door to the church it's it's very apparent some people call it a parsonage and it's it's the home on church property that's next to the church it's where the pastor lives a lot of people are aware of that's where they live so you would get random visitors people needing help all of the time so i think it was 12 12 or one o'clock in the morning uh, these this man shows up he needs help he is miserable he hates his life all of these things he's an alcoholic i think he was some sort of a a loan shark. I so it was like something along those lines of like just not the nicest man, you know, probably in his got his his little fingers in a lot of probably illegal things. Shows up at the door and says a voice told me, says to my dad, a voice told me you can help me. I'm to come here, you can help me. To which my dad, you know, has compassion on this man, brings him inside, which that you have lots of people that would say that that was wrong to bring him inside. He's got kids. He's got his wife in his house. But my dad brought him inside, started to talk to him about the love of Jesus and, you know, got to introduce this man to Jesus, basically. And then went through a whole entire process of realizing what we call deliverance so that there, you know, that his life was miserable, that he had opened his life up to things that would cause harm and cause dismay and cause wickedness and cause death and cause all of these things he had opened his life up to. So it's a matter of simply through Jesus closing doors basically is what it that's as that's as simple as I can put it that you are now going through the process of removing anything that has been allowed to be there before that shouldn't be there now. So this was not new. That was that wasn't new to me. Um you know, uh, hearing somebody being in trouble spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, they all seem to be sometimes connected. So it wasn't too far off, you know, base for me. Um, So I decided to switch gears. And so he's terrified telling me that he's heard these voices. He's, uh, he has no idea. This was 
brand new to him he, until tonight, until sitting down at our date. He had no idea. So I start to tell him the story of the prodigal son, which is a Bible story that talks about two sons of a wealthy man and how one son decides that he wants his inheritance and that he's going to go live the life that he wants, which is spends all of his wealth, you know. And I know that everybody knows the prodigal son. If you don't know it, I suggest you really read it in detail. It's, a, it's an awesome parable of life. So the son goes away. He, he spends all of his money, all of his inheritance. He, he just blows it. And he finds himself living in like as a servant and he's like sleeping in a pig pen so far from where he was supposed to be, so far from what his intended identity was. And uh, he has the thought one day, like, you know what? My dad treats his servants way better, way better than this. I could, I could go home and I could tell my dad, dad, I'm sorry. And he starts to recite an apology. Okay, I will go in front of my dad and I was, dad, I am so sorry about what I did. I shouldn't have done this. I should have. And what happens is he goes back and he decides that he's going to go home and he's going to be humble and he's going to ask his dad if he could be a servant in his home. But his father, who loves him unconditionally, sees him and runs towards him and actually restores his place as son and restores his place of honor and then takes it one step further and wants to give him the best of everything and then celebrate his return. And it's a parable of what Christians say is the relationship between us and God or us and Jesus is that there is a parable there of like we actually do things and walk away through choices and decisions but there is redemption in knowing that we can always go back and that if we go back it's not to be less than it's not to be uh, a servant it's not to be a slave or to be you know in a militant it's it's to to the arms of a loving father who wants to restore everything back to us. So I'm explaining to him, you have hope. You don't actually have to live this way. You don't have to do these things. You don't have, you know, and so I'm trying, because in times like that, when people are paranoid, when they're terrified, all of these things, the one thing to me that I feel like cuts through lie is, is hope. What cuts through like, total dismay and hopelessness is someone actually speaking the opposite and speaking hope into their life it almost catches it catches in their ears because they don't talk that way to themselves and the voices that they hear are not full of hope they're full of hopelessness they're full of wickedness they're full of do harm harm yourself harm others it's nothing about hope and redemption and that you can be uh free and you can uh love and live well like those are not the voices that people who are troubled hear right so I just decided to do the opposite so I was going to just start talking about all the things that he could be and all the things that uh, the Lord wants to do in his life and he confesses that he actually went to seminary and he was going to be his pastor and I've got offered a job on summer break from college from seminary school to like do stock market stuff and he took it and very quickly chased that like thrill of all of a sudden control power and money um, and being able to control other people with money and that's what he started to confess this became like a confession thing which I wasn't prepared for that that's where I started to like oh he started to confess that he controls people with money he has a lot of money and that I think at one point he said, I have $55,000 in a duffel bag 
that I don't even care about. He's like, I could care less about it. But it's how I control people. It's through my money. I get people to do what I want because I have money. I hold it over them. And he was like, money is the root of all evil. It's the root of all evil. And I just kept saying, it is, but Jesus has the power to change everything. Jesus can change everything for you. And which isn't something that he's used to being met with. Um, So with everything that he said to me, I came back at him with, but don't you know that Jesus has, this is no accident. Jesus loves you. Jesus is after your heart. And um, to my surprise, he said, well, you know, three hours ago, I was going to kill myself. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry. I just kept saying, I'm so sorry that you are to the point where you were going to take your own life. And he said, well, but we've met now. So I have something to live for. And I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do? I have to get I have to again now plan that I have to get out of this. Um, So we talked a little bit more about Jesus. And I realized and he realized he said, you know, I can't say his name. And I said, that's okay. Like he says yours like he, your name is on his lips. Like he prays for you. Do you know what the Bible says? That the Lord intercedes on your behalf. Like he prays for you. He says your name. And so um, I tried to encourage him a little bit more. And then I decided this is my exit plan. I'm going to get out of here. I've done all that I can do for this guy. He needs to seek help from professionals. He needs to see, you know, someone who can help him other than a girl that he went on a date with once because it's dangerous for me. It's potentially dangerous for him. This isn't a good idea. So I excuse myself and say, it was really nice to meet you. Unfortunately, I have to work. So I'm going to go. I'd like to pay for my drink. And I'm going to I'm going to go. So I paid for my stuff and decided to walk out the door. And quickly, I didn't want to like turn back around. I didn't want this to be I didn't want to give him any uh, any thought or feeling that I was regretful or that I was hesitant to leave. I actually wanted to be the opposite. I wanted to like get out of there and get into the safety of my car so that I could leave. I was actually trying to get into my car before he got out because he hadn't paid for his drink yet. So I thought this is perfect timing. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave and jump in my car and go. And out of being nervous, I had my key fob in my hand and I unlocked the door to my car before I got there. I was thinking that was clever because my door would be unlocked. I can jump in and go. But actually what I did was I literally in the dark identified my car. And I didn't know that he was in fact behind me, that he threw cash down on the table and followed me, which I didn't know. He was quiet. I didn't hear him. I was concentrating on getting in my car. I opened the door and as I opened the door and jumped in my car, he ran to the passenger side, opened my door because I had already unlocked it and jumped in my car with me. So now I am in the car in a very small space in the dark in a parking lot with a man who's just told me he has demons, just told me he's tried to kill himself, just told me that he has controlled people with money and that he is wicked. And that's what he kept telling me. I am I am no good. I am an evil person. You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. I am I am an evil person. You don't know what I've done over and over and over again. So then, you know, as a pastor's kid, I had this um 
this like anti-bullying method or like anti like protect protect yourself method and it was that if somebody came at me with crazy I just up their I up their crazy with my crazy so I figured I figured if I act crazier than they do then chances are they won't they won't come at me because everybody's afraid of a crazy person I don't care what anybody says you walk down the streets of Chicago and there's some guy talking to himself walking down the street in a hospital gown guess what he splits the crowd like the Red Sea everybody goes to the left or to the right nobody goes near him nobody gets close to him he has free reign of the whole entire sidewalk and that is the truth so I just had learned this like I'm just gonna up my crazy so how I typically up my crazy, if you want to scare people, is you talk about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that really puts people on their heels, really scares the crap out of people. And they don't in because it's it's something that a lot of people don't know about. With even within the church, there is argument over the Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's argument whether it's real, whether it's not, whether, you know, he's God. They don't know how where to put him. Um there is also just different aspects of the Holy Spirit, of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, it throws it throws the church off, let alone somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you know? So I decided that my, and I think this was actually a God thought, and by that I mean, I think the Lord put a thought in my head of, hey, talk about the Holy Spirit, because <laughs> that's what I did. So I changed gears from Jesus loves you and Jesus can save you to those are true, but also have you met the Holy Spirit and started to talk about the Holy Spirit and started to pray in the language of the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues with this guy in my car. And every time he would go to speak and say like, you know, at at one point he even said, um, he said, I was coming here with the intention to do harm tonight. I don't know if he meant harm me. I don't know if he meant harm someone else. I don't I don't know what that intended. And I wasn't actually going to ask for detail. I don't feel like I needed to because I felt that in my car, who I was sitting with was not this guy, but I truly felt I was sitting with something else. And so I got overwhelmed with compassion for this man. I don't know how to describe it, except I felt fear for my life, but I also felt compassion for him at the same time. And so I've been in a few other instances where you're going to hear, you're going to hear about these stories soon enough, but I've been in life or death situations before. I was in healthcare for a long time. I worked in a NICU and other things. And you learn that hysterics does you nothing, doesn't get you anywhere. It does you no good. So the thoughts that were going through my mind were if I panic and start to scream, If I start to scream at him, if I start to scream in my car, there's no one else in this parking lot. No one's going to hear us. All I'm going to do is flip him out and potentially make him enraged and make him violent towards me is my thought process. So my game plan was I was going to quiet myself down. I was going to steady my voice. I was going to speak slow and soothingly. And I just started talking about the love of God. And I started to tell him about my family. I made myself very personable to him. That I was a person that had people who loved me. And that I had a brother who lives here in Nashville. He is my only family here. I am his only family here. And we rely on one another. We're close. 
I talked about everything and I talked about the Holy Spirit has the power and authority to change everything in his life. And I explained the Holy Spirit the best that I could. I started talking about the Bible more. I told him all the stories to the point that he literally had nothing to say to me because every time he spoke, I just started to calmly speak until he stopped. I spoke literally until he stopped speaking. I noticed two things. He couldn't say the name of Jesus. He would only say the Christ is what he would say. So I used this to my advantage and said Jesus as much as I could. I said it as much as I could. And the Bible does say that his name is above all other names. And I, that there is power in his name. And so I used that to my full advantage and just talked about Jesus, talked about the Holy Spirit, talked about the saving power of Jesus and the 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 Holy Spirit and his power that he is alive today, that it is real. Started to even tell him about encounters that I had, supernatural encounters with the Lord and with Jesus to the point that he just stopped talking about all of those things. And I looked at him like we were having a normal conversation. And I said, well, it was really nice to talk to you, but I have to go to work in the morning. So I really have to get home. I have to leave now. And to my surprise, he said, okay, it was really nice to talk to you. He got out of my car and he shut the door. I immediately locked my door. And I watched him walk to his car, he got inside, and he drove away. And I sat in my car for a second, and then all of the panic that I should have probably been feeling all that time kind of swooped in at once. And I I just, I became very aware of the close brush to to evil that I, I was actually with. I mean, I don't know that this man, it it was nonsense. Half of what he was saying was nonsense. It didn't make sense. But there were also parts of him that were speaking clarity. So, you know, the saying, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I can't fully say that all of it was nonsense because I don't know that. But I can't also fully say that all of it was 100% true. So I was in this middle ground of like, I don't even know what happened. Like, I don't even know what just freaking happened to me. So I drove home and like crawled in my bed and then the text messages started to come and he sent me about five or six text messages and they were literal nonsense. They made absolutely no sense. He was talking in like parable and riddle and like nothing made sense. And so I sent him, I think a couple text messages saying, hey, remember that the name of Jesus changes everything. Jesus will change your life. I promise you, he will change your life. I then sent him, I think, three links to different churches that were able, that believed the way I believe and that believed that they could help him, um, spiritually help him. Uh, I gave him three different links of like, this is who you should contact. These people will help you. I trust them. They're trustworthy. Uh, You should give them a call. And then I let him know one more time. Remember what we've talked about. I wish you all the luck. Jesus will change everything for you. I promise I will no longer be talking to you. I'm going to block your number after this. But, you know, I really hope that you just cry out to Jesus. That's what I just kept saying. And then I blocked him. The next morning I woke up and I was just like, I can't even believe that was real. Like, I can't even believe I did all that sneakily. Like, I literally went out and tell anybody where I was going. And I mean, 
sneaky or not, I guess it felt sneaky. I don't really owe anybody anything. I'm a, an adult, so I can technically do what I want. But I think there was this underlying feeling of like, I know I shouldn't be on dating apps. I just know I shouldn't. I don't feel like it's something that I should be doing for myself in this season. And I did it anyway. And this is kind of the predicament that I got in. So I decided to tell uh, one of my roommates about it at first. And she just cried. And she was like, you know, Bethany, like, gosh, this is this is no joke. Like, like things are out to harm, you know, things are out to kill, steal and destroy. And so it just kind of solidified in me and kind of settled into the reality of the fact that, you know, A, there was a lot of things that were alarming in in me, in in my heart, in my mind that I was choosing to ignore for the sake of, I don't even know what, for the sake of I don't know, staying face for the sake of not causing a scene in a restaurant, for the sake of hurting somebody's feelings. I didn't want to be rude, Um, which sometimes I wonder if, you know, I I sometimes question if women have kind of been geared toward like not making a scene, not being over emotional, not being hysterical and also not, uh, you know, be not being rude because yeah, I've been watching a ton of videos of like girls getting catcalled on the streets and girls, you know, and we're taught that when that happens, we're to politely say thank you and like move along that we can't defend ourselves or say like, hey, man, don't look at me like guys get really offended by that. And for some reason, it's been our job to manage guys getting offended, even strangers. So um, there was a lot of stuff that I've just been thinking about, about myself, about, hey, like I probably should have a stronger voice in this, which is which is why I'm I'm telling it today that I got myself in a bit of a pickle and that if I would have listened to these this, you know, these indicators, I could have saved myself a lot of, you know, terrifying minutes, you know, things that gotten I, I don't like to think about what if as much as I can, because it can be probably a really devastating road to take. But man, sometimes to think the what if of that situation, it might not have fared well for me. Um, so ladies, uh, let me just say this. If you're listening, please, if you are ever uncomfortable in a situation, tell a bartender, tell a waitress, you have every right to protect yourself and please uh, feel free to speak up and say, like, I'm actually not comfortable. Like, I think using words and terms like that are are a good thing because it alarms the person receiving it enough to maybe make them sit down or stay still. So um, that is one of the, I don't know, 150 worst dating stories of my life. <laughs> I actually have one dating story that tops that, believe it or not. <laughs> That is more scary than that one. So tune in next time. Uh, The next episode, I'm actually going to talk about uh, a time that I went on a date and I was the jerk. So we got to even this out a little bit. (laughs) So uh, let me know what you think. If you like and subscribe, if if you are able to catch this and I would love to hear from you. I'd love to to get some feedback. Uh, I actually have an Instagram and it's uh, the Instagram handle is like me, like you official. If you uh, are interested in following, I would love to be able to follow along uh, with your life as well and interact and, and hear what you think. Until next time, take care, guys. Bye.